AI is eating the world, including Google. Five AI enhancements SEOs can implement straight away with Bastian Grimm. The In Search SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all-in-one SEO platform that helps skill your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. How is AI impacting Google and how is this impacting SEO? And what can you do about it? That's what we're going to be covering today with a renowned expert in large-scale international SEO, managing massive sites and highly competitive industries. He has over 20 years experience in online marketing, technical and global SEO, and was named Search Personality of the Year at the 2019 European Search Awards. A warm welcome to the InSearch SEO podcast, Bastian Grimm. Hey, David. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on, Bastian. Well, you can find Bastian over at peakace.agency. So, Bastian, how is AI impacting Google? Yeah, I think on a very, very wide range of topics, to be honest, because it's it's such a diverse topic. I mean, we're still, I wouldn't say in the early days, and it's ramping up relatively quickly, but I think Google has been making a lot of changes and improvements over the last years. I mean, we all have as SEOs witnessed that, right? There were like algorithm updates and visual changes and a whole bunch of that is either driven by, let's say, machine learning or, you know, straight away kind of partially at least AI components. So, you know, we have been all already back in the, in the day, been uh, kind of confronted with the likes of uh, BERT, right? And just recently Google introduced um, MAM, which is kind of their recent push into all things AI that's, you know, supposed to be making search results so much better. So, you know, there's a, it's a broad topic that's to be kind of discussed, not only on search directly, but also like on the advertising front, right? Google is pushing a lot of advertisers to use, let's say, you know, their autopilot for advertising campaigns. And obviously that kind of autopilot, if you so will, is also powered by, by AI slash machine learning. So that's a, there's a, you know, really, really big, and broad range of things that, that that's happening. And I think it's a topic that the search marketing community in itself, but also especially probably SEOs, need to get familiar with and not be afraid of because I think it's um, there's some really nice gains to be had if you understand where to start and, and, and how to utilize that, yeah. And if you don't utilize it, then it'll come around and eat your lunch and other SEOs will end up taking your business from you. Most probably, right? I mean, SEO always has been a lot about scaling and being fast and taking advantage of things that are somewhat new that are maybe even, you know, from a conceptual perspective, a bit harder to understand. So you're you're completely right. If you're not if you're not acting now, then you will definitely be partially left behind. And this is something that we should prevent, shouldn't we? So today you're sharing five AI enhancements SEOs can implement straight away. So starting off with number one, content AI tools. Yeah, I think this is kind of the most obvious and probably also the most, let's say, discussed and debated in the in the last years, right? So, I mean, especially with uh, OpenAI, which is one of the biggest kind of companies behind a lot of the AI tech that has been released over the years, when they released uh, GTP3, which was just um, a while ago, I think this became really a mainstream topic. And I think a lot of the, the tooling out there that's now been built is, is utilizing the same tech or the same approach. So basically a very, very large set of training data and you can use the tools. They, they kind of build you know, interfaces on top of it. 
where you basically can do a lot of different things. But one of the things that they've been built for is that you can throw in like a topic and a set of keywords and kind of pick a style, like let's say a blog post or even shorter, just you know, headlines for, for email marketing campaigns, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's really worthwhile investigating because you'd be significantly faster. And yes, I mean, granted, the, the debate that needs to be had is like, the, the bigger the training data, so that means English language, obviously, the, the better the results, that's for sure. And you have like very small kind of, and I mean, no offense to any, you know, country or language out there. But like, of course, if you have something like Norwegian, which is um, a language that's, um, you know, not as popular as English, of course, the results or the output quality varies, but nevertheless, the concept is the same. And I think my first tip would be to get familiar with the likes of a, a Jasper or a Copy AI or, you know, Copysmith or Longshot. There's a whole bunch of them. So like, it doesn't really matter which one, but like conceptually use one of those and then try to see in comparison to your normal editorial process, which, you know, I guess most SEOs or you know, freelance writers or, you know, copywriters, et cetera, have. So how much, how, how much time could you possibly save, be saving when you don't have to build everything from scratch, but rather, you know, you dump something in and then you get potentially, especially for content where you need mass creation, I think right now, um, where you get something back that you then would need to be editing. So, I mean, granted editing and especially fact-checking is very important because again, AIs, they don't write content. They, they, it's generative AI. And that means they basically use the input that they get from training data and then they produce output. So technically they're not writing, they're just using what they have learned and then they're kind of, you know, applying that in as to create a text. So yes, fact-checking is super important. Never ever publish something, you know, without fact-checking. And of course, there's also style and things that need to be considered. But nevertheless, what we're seeing in a, in a hybrid or in a combined approach is that you can gain speed or save resources, right? Either way. So I think familiarizing yourself with, uh, with those tools is certainly, I think, one overarching tip that I would, that would look into, yeah. And if you're impressed with what GDB3 can deliver, GDB4 is coming down the line as well. And I believe that, um, that that's significantly, you know, potentially better than uh, GDB3. That's, that's entirely correct. I mean, uh, release is not yet confirmed, but I mean, a general trend that you could see with AI tools in general is that, you know, the bigger the training data is, the better the output is. And, and GTP4, at least based on an interview that has been done by the CEO with uh, OpenAI, it's supposed to be 500 times bigger in comparison to what we have with GTP3 right now. So you could expect, similar to what we've witnessed back in the day from GPT2, uh, two, three, and that, you know, that range, or like, let's say that scale wasn't as significant, if I recall correctly, it was 140-ish times, uh, two, two, three. So I think there is going to be a massive, massive bump up in terms of what those AI will be able to do. And yeah, I think you're completely right. Yeah, so that's ridiculous. It's like going from a 2G phone straight to 5G. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a very good comparison, yeah, true. <laughs> so let's bring us up to point number two, which is brainstorming, time-saving. Yeah, I mean, if we go back to the concept of like, let's say AI has been all about training data. I mean, in a regular workflow, when you kind of go into producing content, I suppose what a lot of the editorial teams do is that they kind of start out with the you know, concept phase, right? And that means obviously getting familiar with the topic, you know, potentially reading uh, something, 
you know, wherever that is, can be on websites, can be manuals, like depending on what kind of type of content you produce, right? But like technically speaking, I suppose there's always going to be some kind of like conceptual slash research phase in the very beginning that needs to happen. And if you think about it conceptually, I think what you could also achieve, not only as I've been saying in tip number one, like to, to, to generate content, you could also just go and kind of, for example, when you go into these interfaces, you could say like, I only want headlines. So you dump in a whole bunch of like keywords and you just look at all the headlines that those tools actually spit out because what they do is they have consumed a lot of input. Therefore, the output is basically the most common overlap. So again, it could also help like if you think about the like kind of Google's concept of people also ask and like the, the kind of um, related questions that they're showing in the search results, think about that in a similar concept. So you could save time because you don't have to look at like a thousand different resources. Um, instead, you get the most popular ones kind of out of those uh, AI tools straight away. And you could even combine it if you're not really feeling like, okay, I don't want to go like all in on AI content production. So it's like maybe sitting a bit in the middle. There's also at least a whole bunch of assisted writing tools. So basically it's a bit like an auto completion as we've been kind of familiar from like Google's um, documents or like, you know, any other like language tool. So like a, a writer, for example, is, is probably one that comes to mind where you start typing something and then it suggests you something else a bit, almost a bit like an autocomplete. So that somewhat sits a bit in the middle. But yeah, I think the time saving aspect um, on both sides production-wise, but also on the research side, I think would be one thing, even if you don't feel like you use it for production, use it to make your life easier and speed up the, the initial part of the process. Yeah, and make sure that you don't miss out on any potential opportunities as well. Yeah, fair point. That's also true. And point number three, tip number three, is to use AI to generate static imagery. Yeah, I mean, that's a bit of the same concept that obviously beyond just the good old text that we all um, <laughs> love and that the search engines still kind of need uh, one way or the other. But I mean, similar to GPT-3 and it's kind of, you know, making it more mainstream. It's the same for imagery. There's um, DALI and now actually DALI 2, which is a generative AI for imagery. And it kind of works the same way. So you basically, with an input, provide AI with guidance. You say, okay, I want a black Doberman in the streets of New York, as an example. And what you would get is you would get um, a variety of four to five different images. And what's really interesting to observe already right now is that, yes, granted, there might be sometimes, you know, rendering mistakes or slight rendering issues. So it's not going to be always perfect, but what you could see, and again, it goes back to the concept of this training that you would see, well, you know, that dog comes with two types of ears, right? So one is is cropped and one's like standing up. So it's really interesting to witness what the machines in this case already know. But like the reason why I'm mainly mentioning it is that I would be not very much surprised if we see stock photos and stock photo sites, which frankly are really boring anyways. And a lot of times very repetitive. And if you're in, 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 the, in the internet, as long as I am, you've seen stock photos like literally a million times on different websites. And you can instantly spot when, when you know, you, you're looking at stock photos and you're like, ah, you know, someone tried to put imagery and it's not really cool. So I, I'm, I'm a big well, advocate for, for original imagery if you do imagery. And I think this is something, the reason why I'm very excited about the fact is that there's generative AI for imagery is that Oftentimes, when you look at the big challenges for like smaller organizations, they simply can't afford to have like a, a design team or, you know, even like, you know, give this to like a professional designer. And I think 
maybe not right now, but again, it, it's, it's more like getting familiar with the concept and you start playing with it and you see what's actually possible straight away. But I think in the, in the future, in the near future, we'll be seeing uh, this getting much better as well. There's evolution there, similar to as you've been correctly pointing out with like GPT-3, uh, 2.4. It's the same there as well. So the images will be getting better and better and better. And actually, in fact, I, um, I gave a keynote the other day where we compared, I had the audience compare images. One was a stock photo and the other one was um, generated by AI. And it's it's very interesting. There were like five photos and like the, it was a thousand people there. And they only one of them has been identified correctly as what it was. But all the other ones, people were like, okay, this is a stock photo, but in fact, it was a generative AI. So I think there's there's a very, very steep learning curve also from like from that perspective. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. So I think my tip uh, three would be to get really familiar with generative AI for images because there's, there's so many cool things happening there um, you can play with. It's not only DALI, you can play with um, Dream Studio, which is using... Uh, what's called stable diffusion. So there's a whole bunch of them. Just again, get familiar with the concept, see what's already possible because yeah, that's definitely coming. And I see there are even some WordPress plugins nowadays that you can automatically detect um, or the text, obviously use the text within the blog post and automatically generate the image based upon that. This is, yeah, this is extremely exciting because I mean, what happened is that DALI just like two or three weeks ago, I think they released an API. You're entirely correct. And obviously the WordPress plugins, um, and not only WordPress, but also for some other CMSs I've seen first implementations, they basically then use the content. They do like a content extraction, or as you said, they use the tags as an input. They fired against the API. So what you get back is maybe a relevant like hero or header image for your post. So I think on, on that front, Again, it's, it's a lot about what I've been saying early on. It's a lot about efficiency and making processes much easier. So Microsoft, for example, they, I mean, they are an early investor into, into OpenAI. And I believe there's actually even talks where they want to um, increase their participation. But on, on a side, what I find very interesting is that they're pushing extremely hard on the integration. So for example, what they've been rolling out is an integration, integration into the Edge browser where you have a sidebar and basically on the sidebar, it triggers a big image search and the big image search doesn't return anything. You can create like an image on the fly straight in the browser and use a drag and drop and put it, for example, when you want to do a social media post update. So the workflow is really smart and you don't need to go like, okay, I go to a stock photo site, I find something, I need to edit it, I need to drag and drop it there. So it's like, I think, again, it's a lot about time saving and making things uh, a whole less painless, which I think is really exciting. And related to that, tip four is to use AI to generate video. Yeah, I mean, this is still a bit early days, but nevertheless, a super impressive concept. So first on that front, I think at least to the wider audience has been Meta, where they pushed out a technology or showcased, not pushed out, to be fair, they um, showcased a, a technology called Mega Video. And the idea is essentially the same thing, similar to the what I've been describing with the imagery in itself. You could also generate video or video scenes, to be fair. So... This is not like full movie length video, but I mean, because the challenge, right, with with dynamic images or let's say video in this case is not only does the AI need to create the pixels at the right point, but they also need to predict where the pixels are going to be moving to. And this obviously is not as simple because the training data, I mean, there is not so much video training data than there is. Uh, text training data as for like, you know, a GPT-3 and the like. So training those models is a very, very big task. And this is also why, so Meta was the first and then Google 
was uh, almost literally a week after. I was like, yeah, no, we're not having this. We also need to release what we are having. So Google put out uh, what's called Imagine Video. And it has essentially the same idea or the same concept. And on top of it, they were like, you know, we're Google. So, you know, we don't have just one. We have, we have two. So they also published what's called Finaki. And the interesting approach with Finaki is that opposite to the two aforementioned, you could even think about this as being able to generate different scenes. So the prompt, like the input, that can change over time. So I think there's something to be coming in the near future that also would help us, for example, you know, a lot of the images in social media advertising are kind of being replaced by by video, right? People want like dynamic content. So I imagine if you look at the use case, well, potentially it could be that in the not today and not tomorrow, but in the near future, we also be having tools at hand that allow us to create video clips or like, you know, short time video that can be used for, for that. It goes back to my point from earlier. It would probably help also like the, the smaller advertisers to have better ads or dynamic ads or uh, both. It's, it's incredible to think what's coming down the line. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that in 10 years time, it's possible to take a book or a movie script Give it to the AI and it'll actually create a movie from the written material. Yeah, I think the, I agree. I think the, 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 the curve, like this, the speed, the acceleration that we're currently seeing in AI, if you look at you know, five years back versus what's coming in the next five years, it's, it's, it's incredible because we're like just about to really lift off. So yeah, I, I agree. I think there's going to be some very, very exciting things coming, uh, coming down the line, yeah. So that finishes up at tip number five, which is prompt optimization. Yeah, I think this is a thing that people just don't have on their radar right now, but it's true for all the previous mentioned like tool approaches or input approaches, because you know what you do, at least right now, as a user, you basically need to tell the AI, <laughs> if you so will, what are you expecting to get back? So this is what we call a prompt, right? So it's, a, it's essentially like an input to a machine and then the machine takes the input, ideally understands the input, maybe passes in different ways, shapes and forms and extracts what it needs from it and then returns you some content. And that can be an image, it can be a video, that can be um, potentially audio, that can be text, it doesn't really matter. But like generally speaking, prompts are what, at least right now, are incredibly important because the better you are at formulating what you're expecting, the better the results are. And then that again is a time saver, but also, I mean, most of the AI somewhat are, like they work with a credit-based system or like API calls. So it's also like, if, you know, if you're using them heavily, it's also like a, from a cost perspective, it's an important skill to not like having to, to refine what you're looking for like 100 times, because obviously you're paying for that like then 100 times, but rather be very much on, um, on point with what you're trying to, yeah, get out of it. And what people don't understand, I think, about the concept of prompts is it's not like, I mean, I had a very simple example with the Doberman in the streets of New York, but you might, you know, envision an image, a certain image, and it could be grainy or it could be of high quality or it should look like it has been produced by the Unreal Engine. Yeah, that's a whole bunch of different things or super high quality or you want it's a square image or you want you know, something entirely different. And I've seen prompts on, on imagery that are literally like a, a full page on with just description as to how precise you want it. So what I believe is that 
the, 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 the skill or the, the tradecraft of actually being able to formulate very, very precise prompts is one thing that marketers really need to kind of get familiar with because even if in the, you know, a couple of years down the line, we might not be so reliant on the prompt in itself anymore. So the skill, you know, might change over time, but at least in the, in the very near future and also, I guess, in the next at least two years, this is how AI will be controlled or where we, how you will be able to get the best results out of it. So I think formulating prompts, precise prompts, the best possible prompts, either way, I think it's going to be a killer skill for, for, for marketers anywhere. Yeah. I Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it was, I was I was laughing a little bit because um, it reminded me of um, a long time ago, going back to about 2004, when I was um, using a website called Rent-A-Coder to outsource the design of a website that I was producing. This is before Odesk or Upwork or other sites like that. And um, I think I wrote about 100 emails to actually um, define exactly what I wanted this person to design. And that kind of skill, that, that prompting skill is similar to what you do for outsourcing to actually get your, your tasks done to the manner that you want. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, it's a very fair comparison. I was literally saying... Uh, the same to a friend the other day where I kind of looked at some of this stuff feels a bit like a throwback to old days where we need to kind of provide very precise input to a machine um, just that we're getting very different results these days. But yeah, you're right. Well, let's finish off with the Pareto Pickle. So Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. So what's one SEO activity that you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? Well, right now, going back to my, I think, second tip, just use you know, AI-assisted writing tools because you're just getting significantly faster, content production times go down incredibly, and therefore you just be able to push out more. And as we all know right now, content makes uh, the search engines tick. So if you produce more for less, then I guess that's a win. Superb. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Bastian over at peakace.agency. Bastian, thanks so much for being on the In Search SEO podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com. Hey.